0: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Betting Predators podcast. I am your co-host for today, Chris Dell. You can find me at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D, journalist, on Twitter. Sleepy's not with us tonight. He's doing a bunch of crazy things. He's getting ready for golf tee time at like 6.30 in the morning. I don't think he's going to get any sleep, but that's why we call him Sleepy J anyway. So I have a great co-host on with me today. I got a new member of our Betting Predators team on board here. You heard him on last week's college football podcast, with Uncle Dave, Dave Essler, He may or may not be Uncle Dave's nephew. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But I got Coach J-Rod on with me, Justin Rodriguez. You can find him at CoachJRod1 on Twitter. We're going to be talking fantasy football, finishing up our positional podcast episodes. On this show, we're going to be talking mainly about tight ends. We're going to focus a little bit on defense and kicker. Not, not necessarily our rankings there, but how do we go about strategizing defense and kicker in our drafts as well as how we do and manage them, our strategy on a weekly basis throughout the season and season long managed leagues, maybe a little bit of DFS talk as well. So without further ado, Justin, welcome to the show here talking fantasy football. Uh, you did a great job with uncle Dave talking college football. Why don't you give the listeners here from the betting predators, a little bit of info and background about yourself. I know you coach, you coach baseball, basketball, football. You've been into the betting world yourself for quite a while now. And, and, and we're excited to have somebody with your knowledge and overall professionalism on board, contributing to our team. So thanks again for being on with me. And uh, what, what are some of the things? I know we talk, you're going to be doing uh, some fantasy stuff for us during the year. You're going to be doing some college football. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, why you're interested in those things, what your background is, and, and then we can kind of hop into things here talking fantasy tight ends.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Coach, all three sports. Sports has been a huge part of my life for such a long time. Uh, when I'm not with my family, uh, my kids, it's really everything that I devote uh, my time to. Uh, I could think about me and myself going back to fantasy football when I was 13 years old, and we used to keep it just on uh, pen and pads. There was uh, not really Yahoo and all these other leagues that we've become uh, or come to have luxury with these days. Um, so fantasy for me goes back a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm appreciative for being on the uh, Betting Predators podcast, giving, getting all these opportunities. Uh, this year, I am going to be doing the college football, going to focus mostly on that, but we're also going to come out with some uh, decent articles, hopefully for the readers, uh, not only on Daily Fantasy for season long, uh, waiver wire pickups, kind of different stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm excited, I'm ready to get started, and uh, I kind of dabble in a little bit of everything. So uh, hopefully uh, don't get spread too thin and we can get some great content going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. You know, and and like I said, at the Betting Predators, Sleepy and I have talked about this in the last couple episodes. You know, everything that you've gotten for us for free in the past is going to continue to be free. What we're doing behind the scenes is we're taking things to another level. And that's what you can find on our in-season package, which basically you can get for the entire season, get access to our premium content from week one to the end of the Super Bowl. It's going to come out to dirt cheap. I'm talking, you know way less than $1 per day. And, and, and something that I personally think is a strong investment. If you're into daily fantasy and winning money that way, if you're into season long fantasy, if you're into player props, if you're in an overall betting in general, where a lot of us are going to be putting our heads together and figuring out the best ways to put out content for our subscribers on a daily basis, on a weekly basis throughout the season. So if you're interested in that, uh, just go to betting slash backslash premium, or go to bettingpredators.com on our homepage, You'll see numerous links, uh, buttons in order to click and find out more info about our in-season subscriber package. If you happen to miss our early bird rate, which expired last week, just hit me, shoot me a DM on Twitter at m a d d journalists or at bet predators, and I'll make sure to hook it up and give you the give you the early bird rate to get that special deal locked in for the season. But yeah, without further ado, we're going to talk about tight ends here. Uh, Just my rankings overall, you can find my top 300 PPR rankings on Twitter uh, uh, as well as on bettingpredators.com. I post the link on Twitter where basically I have uh, 10 tiers of tight ends going all the way down to tight end 50 uh, to help you with your drafts no matter how shallow or deep that your rosters are. So we're going to talk about a little bit about that right now to start off the podcast and Just overall, J-Rod, because I want to throw it to you first, and then we can kind of throw it back and forth for this podcast because I know you play a lot of fantasy yourself. Um, For me, it's pretty simple that if you're not going to get your hands on a guy like Kelsey, Waller, or Kittle, there's only two or three guys that I'm personally going to consider in that kind of mid-tier range. And if I don't get one or two of them, uh, and I don't want to draft these guys early either, by the way, then I'm probably going to wait, not just late, but probably really late, to grab my starting tight end. I think wide receiver is so deep, even capable RB twos and running backs are so deep. Like we, like we've discussed on previous episodes that, you know, I don't, I don't care about waiting. Okay. I can wait until tight end 15, get a guy like Mike Kosicki, Evan Ingram, Gerald Everett, but why not wait until tight end 25 and grab Mo Alley Cox, Blake Jarwin, Anthony Ferkser. Like what is the real difference going to be between these guys the difference for me is that in your drafts, you're going to be able to pick up extra wide receiver talent, extra backup running back depth that could really make a difference at the end of the day in your season-long managed fantasy league. So for me, like the only guys in the middle tiers that are worth a draft pick, let's say between rounds 4, 5, and 6 to rounds 9, 10, and 11, are maybe TJ Hawkinson, uh, Kyle Pitts, obviously, who's going very early in drafts right now. Uh, I do like Tyler Higby. We'll talk about some of these guys in a little bit more in detail. Uh, And Logan Thomas and Noah Fant. Once I get past that group, I think Cole Komet is a guy personally that I'm very high on, but that you don't need to draft until like rounds 12, 13, or 14 in most fantasy leagues. So that's my overall strategy for tight end is like, okay, I understand taking the value if it falls to you on a Kelsey, on a Waller, on a Kittle, even on a Hawkinson or Pitts. Personally, for me, one of the guys I'm staying away from in that top five, top six is Mark Andrews. I frankly don't trust Lamar Jackson being able to consistently supply wide receiver one volume to any pass catcher in that offense because he's yet to show that throughout his entire career. Uh, So that's the reason why I'm personally going to shy away from Mark Andrews. But those are my overall thoughts just on strategy overall and and where we kind of go about starting our drafts and finishing them in regards to the tight end position. So, What about you? Anything that I say you completely disagree with that you agree with certain guys I might not have mentioned or mentioned that you're high or low on? Just feel free to take the floor and then we can kind of go back and forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a kind of crazy. We actually agree a lot. I'm really a boomer bus guy when it comes to tight end. Obviously, I love Kelsey Waller and Kittle, who doesn't. Um, but where you have to get him is somewhere where I disagree in. Um, getting Kelsey in the first round is absolutely a no-go for me. I understand it's a huge positional advantage, but I've been seeing Darren Waller going in the third round, so I don't mind picking up Waller there. It really all has to do with uh, what's around him for me. Like I said, with Kelsey, it's definitely a reach in the first round. There's just too much talent that I need there um, to really reach on a tight end, knowing that I can get almost the same production in a younger Waller. Um, Kittle coming back off the injury scares me. Um, obviously, when he's healthy, he's a bona fide number one. He can easily replace Waller or Kelsey in that number one or two spot. And I'm with you on Mark Andrews. Uh, not only do I not trust uh, um, uh, our guy Lamar Jackson there, I don't trust the offense. I don't co- I don't trust Coach Harbaugh. Um, they're definitely in it from a mindset to winning football games. They don't care who's getting the receptions or who's getting the touchdowns. And at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson is as good as he is because of his legs. Um, He's obviously much better than that than throwing the ball. Um, So I don't trust him. I think the far too many, um, far too many touchdowns for me to uh, spend that early kind of ADP on mark andrews Uh, you mentioned a lot of guys deep i don't know if i'd necessarily go that deep and it also kind of depends on where you're playing whether it's a 10 team if it's full ppr half ppr if you get in those 12 team leagues maybe even a little bit deeper than that where you do have to reach and then it also has to come down to the people around you Um, i know that this is the first time in a long time i've played in some high level leagues where people have been taking multiple tight ends just because of scarcity and then people get worried that tight ends are flying off the board and they just kind of reach and i 100 percent agree with you every time i get to a choice between somebody where it goes down to like santonian uh thomas higby i always find a wide receiver with a little bit higher ceiling that i like much more at the end of the day we play fantasy football to win we don't play fantasy to football to come into fourth fifth or sixth so when it comes to tight end i'm not really looking about floor i'm looking about um the highest ceiling possible Um, i'm right with you with most of your rankings i would say that the person that i'm highest on this uh, season that uh, not really coming out of nowhere, finished number fantasy number five uh, for tight ends last year, um, TJ Hawkinson. And the biggest thing is opportunity. We love opportunity more than we love talent. TJ's obviously very talented, drafted in the first round just a couple years ago. But the number one and number two wide receivers from last year, absolutely gone. They did bring in Jared Goff, which is going to be a huge downfall. Um, but I think that they're going to be far behind in many, many games. As long as TJ can stay healthy, I think he is just going to get – Tons of targets, and hopefully those lead to receptions and touchdowns and a lot of fantasy points. So I would say that I'm I'm, I'm a lot higher on TJ. I have him up um, as close to number three, depending on the health of Kittle. Like I said, obviously I'm not debating Hawkinson better than Kittle, but Kittle you might not be able to trust. And San Francisco loves to run the ball, so with just the volume alone, I really love the upside of TJ.
0: Yeah, no, I I can't fault you there. I think TJ Hawkinson's a guy for me where the only thing that worries me is that he's literally the only real weapon in that offense outside of DeAndre Swift, that running back in the passing game. And when you look at guys like Tyrell Williams slated to be the number one wide receiver on the outside for the lions with the quarterback and Jared Goff, that frankly has never been able to consistently stretch the field with his arm. That worries me because all of a sudden defenses start scheming up against TJ Hawkinson and basically removing him away from the game plan. Like this isn't a situation in Kansas city where you can game plan against Travis Kelsey, but do it at your own peril because Tyree Kill is sitting there on the outside ready to burn the nearest defensive back in one-on-one coverage. We frankly don't have that with Detroit. And, and I don't know if we have the coaching staff that's even competent enough in order to feed him the necessary volume uh, that he needs to produce elite tight end one type of numbers and fantasy in regards to points per game. So that's the reason why I'm tempering my expectations a little bit for TJ Hawkinson, I mean, look, I've, I've got him right at market. You can go to com again. You can go to my top 300 PPR rankings. I've got everything broken down by tier and by position. I have TJ Hawkinson right in tier three, uh, one spot above Mark Andrews and one spot behind Kyle Pitts. And the reason I have Kyle Pitts ahead of TJ Hawkinson is because, again, the quarterback, the offensive play caller, a.k.a. the new head coach in Atlanta, Arthur Smith, who found ways to make both – John U. Smith and Anthony Furcht are relevant at times in that Tennessee Titans offense, as well as the key part of making Ryan Tannehill one of the most efficient passers in the NFL over the last couple of years. But people forget that Ryan Tannehill, since he became the starter in Tennessee, Literally just look at the fantasy points per game. He is one of the top five quarterbacks in fantasy points per game since he became the starter in Tennessee. He does it on low volume, but he does it with extreme max efficiency. So can we give some credit to Tannehill for that? Of course we can. But how much credit do we want to give to Arthur Smith, who's now in Atlanta? And how efficient is Arthur Smith going to help Atlanta become in their passing game? With Matt Ryan, and how will that trickle down to guys like Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts? Because that's a huge reason why I personally have Calvin Ridley as one of my highest-rated receivers above the market in fantasy this year. I, I think, frankly, that there's a very solid chance that Calvin Ridley is the number one overall receiver in fantasy ahead of everyone that we're taking ahead of him in drafts. Are now, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, Devonte Adams, and we talked about that in our wide receiver podcast. But that's similarly why. I'm similarly excited to a guy like Kyle Pitts, who obviously has the athletic profile, uh, you know, just the athletic in terms of his his prospects coming into the NFL that, look, this guy's basically a wide receiver. We're putting the TE letters next to him and putting that tight end tag next to him. Let's take advantage of that in fantasy, because look, if we have a top five tight end on our rosters, you know, you, you know this better than anyone because you, you've played fantasy your whole life, but, uh, but how much is it really going to matter if we've got tight end five on our roster, right? We need like tight end one, two or three. Cause once you get past those, then like tight end four to tight end 14, are we talking about a difference of like two fantasy points per game? I mean, the margins are very thin when it comes to that. So when you look last year at tight end five, TJ Hawkinson was 11.3 fantasy points per game. And then you can literally list off another seven, eight, nine, ten 10 guys who were just less than two points behind him. I mean, Logan Tom, it's 10.9 fantasy points per game. Mike Kosicki, 10.7. Dallas Goddard, 10.6. Hunter Henry, 10.4. All the way down to guys like Eric Ebron, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, O.J. Howard. So, you know, you want the three guys who were at the top last year. And that was Kelsey, 21 fantasy points per game. Darren Waller, 17 fantasy points per game. And George Kittle, 16 fantasy points per game. And the the one thing that I will disagree with you a little bit on, Coach J-Rod, and and I I agree with you and disagree with you in a sense that, yeah, George Kittle, we know there's a huge injury risk associated with him. But when you look at what he's been able to do in the past, we're getting a clear discount. If he's coming into training camp fully healthy and we have nothing to worry about, and and I'm the last one who wants to try to be a doctor myself and say, hey, this guy's injury prone then you're potentially getting a massive value on George Kittle in round three or four. And and if you're doing multiple leagues, uh, I would highly recommend getting at least a few shares of George Kittle because if he's healthy for 16 games, then there's no reason why it's a 50-50 coin flip between who has more points between George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. So I 100% agree with you that Kelsey's being overdrafted because him to be able to maintain the numbers he put up last year – The chances of that are very slim. But George Kittle doing that in round three or four, then you're getting a huge discount, and you could win your league off one pick like that alone to get the advantage of that position. So I am high on George Kittle. I've got him right behind Waller. I don't have the differences that much, but um, those are the guys that I really want to get early is Waller or Kittle if the value falls to me, although it's very difficult to draft Kelsey because, man, I don't want to take Kelsey over Anaji Harris. Like I don't want to take Kelsey over Stephon Diggs I want to take Kelsey over maybe like a Robert Woods, but frankly, I don't have the chance to. The only chance I have to do that is to take like a Waller or Kittle over a guy like Tyler Lockett or Robert Woods that I'll feel more comfortable for. So that's my thoughts on the top top tier of tight ends, talking about tiers one and two. And Kyle Pitts maybe falls in right in like round five, round six. Unfortunately, in a lot of drafts, Kyle Pitts is going in round three, round four. So the tax on him is pretty high too, but I'm looking for upside past the first round. And frankly, Travis Kelsey isn't doing it for me. And I feel like the best value, speaking of that right now, surprisingly is on George Kittle. So that's where I am with those top tier guys. And then some of the younger guys that I think are due for breakout seasons, we'll talk about in a little bit, that I'm higher on. Um, Is that, in terms of what your strategy is, uh, J-Rod, is that like once you get past like round one goes, just how early are you looking to take a guy – like a Darren, you know, let's say you're not in the Kittle. How early would you take Waller? How early would you take Pitts or Hawkinson uh, in a 12 team league uh, when it comes to your pick on the board? Or does it really matter on terms of like roster construction or things? Like, wh- What are some of the factors you're thinking about when it comes to that?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing for me is rosters construction. Like you talked about earlier, I think wide receiver is so deep this year. I'm finding guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round with tons of that upside. Like we talk about, I would say that my perfect situation I've been having is if I can get into the top five picks in that 12 team league and I can go running back, running back, then I start to look at somebody like Waller in the third round. Cause we do talk about that positional advantage. Once we get down past number three, past those big three, the biggest difference, like you just mentioned in fantasy points, per game um, so I have no problem taking Waller in the third round once I have two solidified running backs I have no problem taking him over a, a wide receiver at that point just because I feel like I can get so much value um, uh, down the board at wide receiver I feel like um, I could really load up my team depending on whether you're playing three wide receivers in a flex two wide receivers in a flex I play in a big money league where it's just two wide receivers in a flex and I think that's where I get the most value out of Waller in that third round because ultimately Waller and Pitts and Kelsey they're 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 matchup nightmares they're 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 built like tight ends they run like wide receivers uh Andy Reid, John Gruden, they do uh, just an amazing job um, getting these people in successful opportunities. The only problem that I talk with about Kittle, um, just from a coaching standpoint a little bit, is obviously the guy is um, crazy athletic, he can catch the ball, he can kind of do it all, but he's also such a great run blocker. So he's on the field, many, many snaps to make sure that he uh, can open up the lanes for the running backs that he has behind him. Shanahan's one of the best. Uh, run designers in the NFL there's no doubt about that Um, and Kyle Pitts kind of falls in that Waller Kelsey line he's going to be a matchup nightmare they're going to use him in the slot they're going to use him outside they're going to motion him in and out Uh, I love those plays that Kelsey gets on the flips with uh, uh, Mahomes coming across the motion Uh, really they're truly wide receivers and tight ends body so when I was talking about that injury risk I was talking about that that Kittle's going to be put in a lot of different situations where we know he's not going to have an opportunity to. Hurt us any type of fantasy points. So, my perfect structure is to get two running backs in that first round and then really look hard at Kittle. Um, we know that Pitts is going to be overdrafted anytime that there's a rookie with this much hype people are going to obviously stargaze over him a little bit and want to get their hands on that guy Um, that's why uh, in one of my dynasty leagues I had the second overall pick and um, I took him well ahead of Jamar Chase just because if Mm -hmm. he does pan out he's going to be that statistical um, difference at the tight end position that won't even be close to what Jamar Chase can handle but um, Mm -hmm. let me ask you this you talked about how you're down on Mark Andrews give me a couple guys that a lot of People aren't thinking about that are much further down their boards than maybe that are on yours that you wouldn't mind having instead of somebody like Andrews.
0: Yeah, I'm going to break it down two ways because for me, looking at who I'm higher on or lower on versus the market in terms of the top 10, I think Tyler Higby's a guy personally that I'm higher on than the market is because we saw what he could do as the featured tight end in that offense in LA just a season and a half ago when Gerald Everett got hurt. And all of a sudden, Tyler Higbee was like the number one tight end in fantasy for a solid four or six-week stretch to end the season. The only reason why we didn't get that last year, and he was overdrafted based off that hype, was because Gerald Everett was back in the offense and back healthy. Well, Gerald Everett's now in Seattle. And Tyler Higbee has no real competition behind him in that Rams offense. Now we get improved quarterback play with Matthew Stafford under center, whose help make TJ Hawkinson relevant – as a fantasy asset in the last couple of years. So I'm very confident in, in uh, Stafford's ability to go from guys like Hawkinson and last year uh, banged up Kenny Galladay to making all three of Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Higby fantasy-relevant pass catchers. So Tyler Higby, to me, as the seventh tight end off the board, you know, I've got Mark Andrews ranked one spot ahead of him based on just projections alone, but that doesn't mean I'm taking Tyler Higby ahead of Mark Andrews. It just means that, once Mark Andrews falls to the board as the top-rated tight end, I'm probably going to draft a wide receiver. I'm going to draft a running back, maybe an early quarterback, and I'm going to wait a couple rounds and get that value on Tyler Higby. So that's how I'm approaching it from that strategy when I go from tier to tier. Uh, a couple other guys that I think that fit the bill in terms of athletic profile and increased volume ex- expected from this year compared to last season, uh, one of the guys is Logan Thomas. and I know A lot of people, a lot of very sharp people I listen to, by the way, in terms of his fantasy circles, like a couple people are very low on Logan Thomas because he doesn't have the tight end prospect profile coming into the NFL that other tight ends did. this guy was a quarterback coming into the league. But last year as a tight end, you know, this guy was able to put up numbers right outside that elite top three that we were talking about in terms of fantasy points per game, you know, right behind TJ Hawkinson and Robert Tunyon was Logan Thomas at 11 fantasy points per game. When you look at the back half of the season, specifically Logan Thomas was able to rank in the top three in terms of fantasy points per game. This is a guy that was in his first career season as a full fledged tight end in an offense with guys like Alex Smith and you know whoever else was throwing the ball. Taylor Heineke for a couple weeks, uh, Kyle Allen before that. Now he gets a competent quarterback under center in Logan. In, in um Logan Thomas does in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Logan Thomas last year from weeks nine to 16, I bring those numbers up because that was the second half of the fantasy season. He was the tight end three behind Kelsey and Waller. Okay. If Kittle's healthy, he's probably the tight end four, but still to be able to get the, the number four overall tight end consistently on a week to week basis, when you don't have one of those other top three guys and you're getting him in round eight, nine or 10, then you're looking at really solid return on investment with drafting a guy like Logan Thomas in those middle rounds because his touchdowns were low and he had two touchdowns in, in all those games he played in those last eight weeks of the season. He gets improved quarterback play with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They don't really have a second weapon in that offense besides Terry McLaurin. They got a couple of young guys who are promising, but Logan Thomas, he's going to be going into his second year as a tight end. This guy was a converted quarterback. I think he only gets better from here. He's going to get better in terms of his experience, his route running, his pass catching, his overall knowledge of the coaching scheme and the regime that are there in Washington – and I, I think that he's a, he's a guy that you could easily say could realistically take a step up in terms, of, in terms of his overall efficiency and his volume as well with more passing attempts possibly coming his way from a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the reason why I keep bringing up Fitzpatrick is because Mike Kosicki was tight end four last season in weeks 9 through 16. And that had a big deal to do with Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami. So if Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to have Mike Kosicki put up those type of numbers and help him do that, That I think that Logan Thomas again is a guy that can put up similar type of numbers like that. The only guys who were even coming close to him in terms of points per game was Mark Andrews and Irv Smith and Irv Smith is out for this year. So we're talking about a top five tight end that you can get in rounds eight or nine, as opposed to drafting a guy super early in rounds two or three, like we have with Darren Waller and George Kittle. So, uh, you know, Logan Thomas, although I agree like drops were a concern, he wasn't the most efficient of receivers, I think the efficiency was in large part due to the inefficiency of the people who were actually throwing him the ball. Uh, And that's why if I can, if the value falls to me in the drafts, I'm willing to take a guy like Tyler Higbee. I'm willing to take a guy like Logan Thomas, a guy I have right behind them is maybe a Noah fan who athletically, he's athletically gifted right behind those guys. But there's more mouths to feed in Denver with Jerry Judy, with Cortland Sutton, uh, with the running back Javante Williams in town there. So those are some of the guys that I have my eye on. In the middle rounds, that's my tier four tight end seven, Higby, tight end eight, Logan Thomas, tight end nine, Noah Fan. And then we'll kind of get into the rest of the guys as, as we go down the board. But that's kind of my strategy. If I don't get Hockett, if I don't get a good dally on Hawkinson early or Pitts, if I don't get a good dally on Waller or Kittle early, then I'm looking to these guys in the middle rounds. If they drop far enough to me, then I'm going to try to pounce on them and have them as my tight end one for the season. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy that we like to look
1: at that I just can't really get uh, a a good amount of grips on obviously plays in a high profile offense. Uh, has one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history with Aaron Rodgers. It's Robert Tunyon right now, and he's been drafted as high as uh, tight end number eight, anywhere from eight to 11. But last year, just a super efficient year. Caught 52, or 52 balls, only on 59 targets, 586 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Finished as as uh, tight end number four in, in uh, PPR league. Do we really think that Tunyon can keep up this type of efficiency throughout the whole season again?
0: That's a really good question, man. And I'm gonna to lean towards no, although I will throw the caveat in there is that with Aaron Rodgers, anything is possible. Because as you know, like if Aaron Rodgers has his guy, quote unquote, then that's gonna be his guy. And Aaron Rodgers' guys last year were Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon. Like he didn't want to throw touchdowns seemingly to anyone else on the team besides those two guys. Oh, yeah, the occasional crazy deep pass to Marcus Valdez Scanlon. Who would drop if 80, he
1: didn't or,
0: drop it? Yeah, if he didn't drop 35 to 40 percent of them already. See, we're already on the same wavelength there. So, you know, yeah. but Tanya, but Tanya's his guy. And, and Tanya, it's important to gain the trust of a, of a veteran future Hall of Fame quarterback like that, Aaron Rodgers. So, would it surprise me all that much for Tanya's touchdowns not to regress? We all talk, we always want to talk about regression, but with a guy like Aaron Rodgers and the personal preferences he has, like, maybe that's going to stick for a couple years until Rodgers really runs out of juice in Green Bay. So I'm, I'm tempering my expectations, but I also think there is a bull case to be made for a guy like Tunyon. who, again, last year we, lo- we were looking at Jay Sternberger as the number one tight end in Green Bay. You know, we're like, who is this guy, Tanyan? Like I picked him up on almost all my leagues. He was the reason why I actually won a couple of my leagues at the end of the year is because I, I picked him up on a whim for basically for free, and I got lucky because I was like, I just need a tight end to stream this week. So, you know, that's the type of guy you look for in the middle of the season that can all of a sudden make a run for you like that. And, and frankly, a lot of people who picked him up last year just got lucky. But, hey, maybe maybe that, that, that run can uh, sustain itself for at least one or two more seasons. So I'm right in line with the market when it comes to Tunyon. I've got him ranked as tight end 10. Again, I think the guys ahead of him have a little more upside in terms of their ceiling uh, because they don't need to rely just on touchdowns. I think Logan Thomas and Tyler Higby, they can rely on volume, uh, on just pass catching efficiency overall when it comes to target percentage in their offense, when it comes to the air yards they're given, the opportunities they're given on a weekly basis. Um, the one guy I want to touch on because of that, before we move into like the bottom, you know, we're talking about now tight ends basically 10 through 15. Uh, one guy that I have in the top 15, i um, just a couple spots above market on. Uh, which I think I move, might move a little bit higher. It's a guy, honestly, Coach J. Rod. That like the 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 media and public narrative is like super low on, and that's Evan Ingram. And just a couple years ago, we were talking about Evan Ingram as being like one of. the – Could he be like the next Kelsey tier of tight ends? And he let a lot of people down over the last two seasons. But when you look at the raw numbers last year for Evan Ingram, this is a guy who was like a top five, top six. Uh, tight end in terms of just air yards alone, uh, only behind Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Gesicki, Andrews, and Gronkowski. Uh, and then you look at the targets, like how much opportunity was this guy given based on those air yards? He ranks number four for the year. Darren Waller, number one, 146 targets. Kelsey, number two. Logan Thomas, as I mentioned, number three, which is why I really like him this year. Evan Ingram was number four in the NFL in tight end targets with 109 targets on the year, eight more than TJ Hawkinson had to finish the season. So, you know, you have a lot of reasons to be high on Evan Ingram. And when you look at the fact that Evan Ingram right now is the, what, tight end 15 being drafted, you could literally get him in like the second to last round of a standard 18 round uh, fantasy draft this season redraft. So I think that like, if you do miss on those top tier guys, or even a couple of the middle-tier guys we're talking about, you could get a huge value on Evan Ingram to where if all things go right for him, Daniel Jones takes a step forward. Evan Ingram could be a guy that, hey, would we really be all that surprised if he finishes as a top five or six tight end? Because we know the athleticism's there, the talent's there. Uh, can his quarterback help him put it together? So for those reasons alone, he's basically free, and I think that value's there and just taking a flyer on him in the later rounds just to see what he can do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think people are very quick to forget that in his rookie season, uh, he actually finishes tight end number five in full PPR rankings. The biggest knock on him is also has obviously been in the quarterback play. Do we believe in Daniel Jones? I'm personally not a believer in Daniel Jones. I'm not a believer in the offense. We like to think that obviously Saquon Barkley coming back is going to make them a little bit more dynamic. Um, But last year, absolutely. He got about almost 50 more targets than we just talked about with Tonian. 109 targets, 63 receptions the biggest knock in the last three years has been the touchdowns though only two three and three in the last in in the last three years and that's that's just really not going to cut it But we also have to agree that there's a variance of luck associated with touchdowns. Is the offense good enough to get in the red zone? Can you be efficient enough in the red zone? Is the quarterback good enough to be uh, putting the ball in the right spot in the end zone? And obviously that answer is no. Without Saquon Barkley, people didn't have to stack the box against the giants like they will have to this year, as long as he comes back into form. But I completely agree with you. I think people think that he kind of caught an injury bug because he only played 11 games in 2018 followed by eight and 20, 19 but last year was phenomenal 16 games 63 receptions on 100 on 109 targets uh, 10.4 yards per receptions but it was the touchdowns that really held them back this year with Saquon coming back if he's healthy hopefully they can be a little bit more efficient like you said Daniel Jones can make that jump and be a little bit better quarterback because uh, with the new regime there um, if he's not they're going to be looking for somebody else so maybe they can go forward I love the upside play right there Uh, we just got to get those touchdowns up just a little bit Um, another guy that people were very high on last year um, because of situation and quarterback and things have kind of changed now there's a new quarterback in town uh, there's a a new coaching staff in town and then the old veteran uh, Zach Ertz is actually kind of exiting stage left here but a lot of people have uh, their eye on uh, Dallas Goddard in this range where are you at on him and what are your thoughts moving forward with this Philadelphia offense
0: uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I was on another podcast earlier today and this is something I'm going to be publishing on the betting website. I'll be doing my season long player props column, which will be out early this week. Uh, it'll give you a couple days to place your final season long player prop bets before I get, get into doing my weekly player prop, uh, columns on the website. But, uh, one of the main season long player props that stick out with me that direct directly correlate to my fantasy rankings for the season for drafts is that I'm lower on the market on Dallas Goddard and, Look, I'm not lower on the market when it comes to Dallas Goddard in terms of his talent. I, I think that you could make a case where if he was given top opportunity with a top quarterback, with a high-end uh, you know, play-calling regime, with a good offensive coordinator, that he could easily be a top 5'10 in a fantasy. But, But that's not the situation here. We get a brand-new coaching staff. We don't know where they – they, they didn't draft Dallas Goddard. Like, they didn't draft Zach Ertz So these guys are on level playing field. Like, what can they do in the preseason and in training camp to kind of prove themselves? Or, or will they be stuck in another type of 50-50 committee? If these guys are stuck in a 50-50 timeshare, then why do we have Dallas Goddard ranked as the number 10 tight end in fantasy and Zach Ertz ranked as, like, number 30 tight end in fantasy? That, to me, makes absolutely no sense. And I think the gap should be much closer. I've got Dallas Goddard right now as tight end 20, which is my biggest difference in terms of who I'm lowest on in the entire top 20, even top 30 of uh, fantasy tight ends for this season. And Zach Ertz, I have at tight end 22. And the reason why, I mean, I'm high, you know, Zach Ertz, I'm not exactly higher on him than the market, but uh, Jalen Hurts showed last season that this guy is, is a talented fantasy quarterback. But when it comes to it's who he's throwing the ball to, uh, Jalen hurts is not a quarterback that likes to target to the tight end position, go back to his days in Alabama, even in Oklahoma, when he put up some really impressive numbers to close out his collegiate career. I mean, look, he, he's got two, two tight ends on his team, but this guy's throwing the ball to his speedy wide receivers, or he's getting out you know, in the flats and trying to run the ball with his mobility and with his legs, which is another reason why I'm very high on Jalen hurts this year, just for fantasy uh, alone. But Look at Jalen Hurts in the games he started. Uh, you know Dallas Goddard in those three games had four catches, four catches, three catches, had forty-three yards, thirty-nine yards, thirty-eight yards. No touchdowns in those three games. He would flash for an occasional 15, 20 twenty-yard catch, but not only was Dallas Goddard splitting the targets and the overall production with Zach Ertz, he was splitting like the snaps played, the routes run. Like this is not a full-fledged starting tight end one which is why I have a very hard time ranking him, even near the top 15 when it comes to uh, fantasy tight ends. So Dallas Goddard's a guy I like the under on 675 receiving yards for him this season because I think that he's a guy in the past that's played with more traditional type of pocket passers like Nick Foles when Wentz went down or even Wentz all of last year coming back from his injury. And what Dallas Goddard so far, the three seasons he's played in the NFL, just to make sure I get this right, Rookie year, 334 yards. Second year, quote-unquote semi-breakout year, 607 yards. Last year, 524 yards. Last year, granted, he only played 11 games. But, again, when we're talking about season-long player props, we're talking about unders because there's a chance for injuries to the actual player. There's a chance for injuries to the offensive line. There's a chance for injuries to the quarterback. And when you add a new coaching regime and offensive play calling system into the mix, there's a lot of fact. Factors that can contribute to an under for a player. So, again, that's the reason why I'm betting the under on Dallas Goddard for receptions. I saw they took that off the board at DraftKings today, but I would bet anything close to 50 in terms of the over under on his catches for the year and then his receiving yards as well. I don't see him setting a career high in receiving yards this year because of Jalen Hurts under center, because Zach Ertz can only get better from here. He was banged up a lot last year. And they, just, they haven't traded him. I, I frankly don't know if, he's, if he was on the trade market for that long, Zach Ertz, and they couldn't trade him over the entire offseason this year, how much is a team really willing to give up for a Zach Ertz? I, I don't think much. So I, I think the Eagles are going to wind up sticking with Zach Ertz for the entire year. There's going to be no issue with them running two capable tight ends onto the field. The issue is going to be for fantasy owners, which the coaches frankly don't give a shit about. So that to me is why I'm basically ranking Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard together in fantasy. I, Talent wise, if I'm a scout, then, oh, das- Dallas Goddard's 10 times better. But this is fantasy. This is reality. Like, that's not going to happen. And everything we've seen so far has shown that Ertz might actually wind up getting more targets and more catches at the end of the year than Goddard. So I'm not taking Dallas Goddard anywhere in my drafts, unless he's just like a stash in a dynasty league. Like, maybe in two years from now, he's finally going to get that opportunity.
1: This is the best thing that I love about these podcasts with you guys and especially everybody at Betting Predators. Obviously, people are here for fantasy, fantasy advice, daily fantasy, season long. We're here to help them win money. But then you threw out great information, great prop. Hip- prop picks like that um that could basically double that entry fee so um good stuff uh definitely for sure this is a range that um i'm just kind of lukewarm about nobody absolutely excites me you know we talked about the upside um of guys like evan ingram and tyler higby um but uh Many of many of my uh, times uh, at this point in the draft, I'm normally going somewhere else, either an extra running back, uh, maybe a rookie wide receiver, somebody that I think they can give me a little bit more upside um, than one of these standard tight ends. I know in the big money league that I play in, um, when I was at this point, a lot of people had two tight ends, Um, and I think it was honestly um, because there were so many people in the league that didn't have any, and they thought, well, if I could stash somebody right now, or if I could pick up two guys in the top six, maybe I could use that as trade bait. Which, by the way. Way. i never ever recommend anybody drafting a player to trade because um that's a net, that's a, a bad bad strategy to use but one okay. guy in this range that i to that, that i really want to talk about um that i'm personally high on and it's not going to be flashy he should because he's probably going to go down as the greatest tight end um to ever play uh in the nfl but that's rob Gronkowski. Um, I don't people, I don't think people understand what kind of efficiency he actually had last year. Um, I think at one point in the season, Tampa Bay was somewhere around seven and five, just hovering over um, 500 in the season. And then Bruce Arians kind of went back to that New England style playbook. Um, A lot more stuff that Rob and Tom were familiar with. And in 16 games, he actually had 77 targets. 45 receptions, 623 yards, seven touchdowns, and in PPR leagues, finished number eight. That's yeah. pretty good return on a guy that nobody's really drafting at all this year, except for in deeper leagues. The biggest thing that I look at from this this standpoint of what we're going to do um, when we need somebody this late and around is what are you going to get at the end of the season. And I think there's nobody in this range that has more trust from their quarterback than Rob Gronkowski. Cause at the end of the day, when we're drafting any guy in this range, we're looking for tight end upside, especially late in the year. And as the season gets closer and closer to the playoffs, we know Rob Gronkowski becomes bigger and bigger. His role kind of extends. You can see him during the year, kind of taking a, a Kawhi Leonard rest day here and there, or maybe not being on the field as much. Um, he is not much of a blocker as he was in, earlier in his career. So when Rob Gronkowski is on the field, they're looking to target him and especially Tom Brady. I don't care about any of the other wide receivers, Godwin, Evans, um, any of them. Uh, when, when a game is on the line, I find uh, that Rob and uh, Tom uh, are really a match made in heaven. So I love uh, the continuity between these two. I understand that he's getting older and everything's going to go a little bit downhill year by year, but I just know late in the season when things start to get tight, that Tom's going to look for Rob and, uh, I actually have him on a couple of my teams for that reason because I think late we're going to get good tight end upside out of Gronkowski. How do you yeah.
0: feel about somebody like this, Chris? You know, normally I would be fading a guy like that because I would bring up the things like, oh, well, he's in a he's in a three tight end committee because OJ Howard's coming back from injury and OJ Howard was the guy we you know we were taking in like the first five or six rounds just two seasons ago. But obviously OJ Howard hasn't earned the favor of the Buccaneers coaching staff and offensive play calling under the likes of Bruce Arians. And, and Byron Leftwich, and we, we, we've seen that play itself out on the field, whether he's been healthy or not. So a guy like Rob Gronkowski, as you said, like same reason we talked about Tunyon, that like we're not so low on Tunyon because he's Roger's guy. Like Gronkowski is Brady's guy, and Gronkowski is surprisingly a, a lot younger than we all want to think he is. Like we all want to think Gronkowski is like 44 just like, just like Tom Brady is. The fact is Gronk – took a couple of years off football and he's 32 years old. So, I mean, you know, yeah, he's on the wrong side at 30, but how much older is he, is he than Travis Kelsey? He's not that, there's not much of a difference there. So could he kind of revitalize himself being just one year older than the guy we're taking as a consensus number one tight end off the board. Obviously, we don't expect him to put up Kelsey numbers by any means, but the the one the things that surprise me when you look at the numbers here and, and the numbers I'm referencing, if you're listening or, or, or watching this live stream, like you can find these numbers for free online. And these are some of the most common ones I like to uh, come up and reference when it comes to just these pods where we're going back and forth. But you know, without me digging too much into the weeds, but it's air yards, it's targets – it's air yard percentage, your air yard market share in that offense. It's target percentage, your target market share within that offense. And the thing that pops off to me looking at Rob Gronkowski is that he had the fifth most air yards uh, amongst tight ends in the NFL last year, one spot above Evan Ingram, which I told you I was so high on him in the last segment, but also he's literally just trailing Darren Waller, Mike Kosicki and Mark Andrews for overall air yards on the season, like more than a guy, uh, you know, it's it's just crazy to see that. So, uh, obviously, Kelsey's at the top there. So, uh, when, it, when it comes to that, like, is getting the ball thrown to him down the field. He's getting opportunities to convert those into big plays. And the touchdowns are there. Grady's going to look his way in the red zone because he trusts him. So, the fact that Gronkowski had seven touchdown catches which is the same as Mark Andrews had last year, that doesn't surprise me. And that's not something I'm going to say that, hey, that number is going to regress. There's no way that Rob Gronkowski can score seven touchdowns. No, absolutely he can score seven touchdowns again, which is the same reason why we thought that Tunyon could maintain his touchdown rate of 11 touchdowns because, frankly, Aaron Rodgers is choosing to look his way because he trusts him. And when you have Hall of Fame quarterbacks like that and Brady and Rodgers, that's where you want to look at in terms of who do these guys trust and who are they going to consistently target when it comes to – comes to areas of the field that matter most in fantasy, which is the red zone, which is inside the 20, inside the 10. So I do like that because like Robert Gronkowski is personally for me a guy that like I'm not going to take too much of because I'm always looking for like athletic upside in correlation with opportunity. But Gronkowski is a guy that maybe he has more athletic upside than we're really giving him. And, and maybe we're not giving him enough credit in that type of capacity. So I, I do not hate that pick uh, at all. Gronkowski's a guy that, I've got a little bit lower than market, but the more that I've started to get into my drafts and actually doing real live drafting, uh, he's a guy I'd much rather have than a Dallas Goddard, like I, like I talked about before. Uh, he's a guy that I'd probably more than likely put in my tier five, tier six. Uh, and it's a, a couple guys that we'll get into here as we close out the podcast. But a couple guys that I'm higher on in the Evan Ingram range that I mentioned in the top 10, top 15 uh, one guy is Cole Komet from the Bears. Uh, this is a guy who was like basically an athletic freak at, at Notre Dame in college. And we all know historically from fantasy in terms of transitioning from college to the NFL, you can be a good tight end. But you're basically have like a 10 percent or less chance of, of being a contributing fantasy tight end in your rookie season or even your second year. Uh, as at the tight end position, whereas we see rookie running backs and rookie receivers come in, even rookie quarterbacks come in and contribute right away. Uh, tight ends a position that usually don't see players break out of until at least you know year two, year three, year four. I think Cole Komet's in a very good situation going into year two where he could wind up being the second best receiving option in the offense for Chicago. If you actually combine the numbers uh, that Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet both put up last year in 2020 – That would give you roughly like 195 points for the season. That would be clear cut in a way the number three tight end behind Kelsey and Waller in about 25, 30 points ahead of TJ Hawkinson. Look, I'm not saying that Jimmy Graham's just going to straight up go and disappear. What I'm saying is you're going a step forward for Komet, a step backwards for Graham. Graham had touchdown, uh, you know, you know, variance on his side. I think that's definitely going to regress a little bit, especially when the, the fact that you have two new quarterbacks in that offense there. So Cole Komet's a guy I'm very happy to get in those later parts of your draft because the athletic upside is there. And uh, a guy like Justin Fields could easily latch himself onto Komet as an athletic player who can make plays down the field and become the second option behind Allen Robinson in in, in a targeted concentration offense there in Chicago. So I like Cole Komet a lot coming away with him in rounds 13, rounds 14 of your drafts. Another guy I want to touch on here in that range, and I'm a lot higher on the market, is uh, Juwan Johnson for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Adam Troutman's going to start off missing a large chunk of the season, and he's a guy who we expected to take a step forward in that offense, but he hasn't really shown much in terms of what the coaches have been talking about in the preseason and training camp. Uh, Juwan Johnson, in some leagues, he's even listed as a wide receiver. This guy played wide receiver in college at Penn State and transferred to Oregon and played wide receiver there. And now he's being transferred to tight end, which he showed flashes of over the last year and very limited opportunities. So he's the guy that you can get in the last round of your fantasy draft. And if he becomes the Saints go-to tight end, you saw the way that Jameis Winston, when he was a quarterback for Tampa Bay, targeted Cameron Brait, at even a guy like that, and with mediocre athletic talent at a tight end one level. So I think Juwan Johnson is the only really healthy tight end in that offense to start out the year with Jameis Winston on their center. This is a guy you can literally get for free in the last round of your drafts. Hey, if he doesn't give you anything week one and two, you cut him and you lost nothing. But what he could do, this guy literally has the athletic profile to to be the next type of athletic breakout tight end in the likes of a Darren Waller in Las Vegas. So I really like Juwan Johnson. The sample size is limited. The tape is limited, but he has the athleticism, the size, 6'4". He has a very good play caller behind him and Sean Payton a capable passing quarterback in Jameis Winston. These are the things that I look for in terms of identifying late round value and potential late round breakouts. And frankly, I think that Juwan Johnson, if you're going to wait till the last round and you can't get your hands on Evan Ingram or Cole Komet, I'm more than happy than getting us my tight end two or even tight end one in a deeper league, a guy like Juwan Johnson. But if he doesn't work out, I can just play the waiver wire, try to make a trade. But he's a guy that has massive upside, in my opinion. And he, he frankly is just not getting respect by the draft community right now. Jawan Johnson's being taken as I think the I want to say like number 25, uh, number 30 tight end off the boards. Or um, I think even lower than that, actually. Let me, let me take Jawan Johnson being drafted as a 32nd tight end off the board. I've got him at tight end 23 right behind Zach Ertz. And there's a good chance I move him higher as we as we get closer to week one kickoff. So I just want to throw him out there as a guy who I think could really break the mold in terms of guys we're looking for that can produce elite numbers that basically don't cost us anything. So those are some of the guys, some of the key indicators I look at in terms of who do I look for in a potential breakout tight end outside of the guys like Gronkowski and Tanya that we know we can trust because of that chemistry with their quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another guy that I wanted to ask you about um, in this tier is kind of in a timeshare uh, in a sense. Uh, Jonu Smith comes over from Tennessee to New England, um, along with Hunter Henry from uh, Los Angeles. I think we all know that Bill Belichick has been trying to find uh, that Rob Gronkowski and uh, the player that shall not be named uh, connection with that two tight end set for a really, really long time. Um, we know who the quarterback is. Mac Jones, super efficient in college. I think he's going to bring over that efficient to the NFL, Um, but like any young quarterback, he's probably going to want to get the ball out a little bit quicker than normal there in New England, especially with some of the defense that he's going to go up against, Um, like the up-and-coming Miami and Buffalo. He's going to see those guys uh, two times a year. Normally, we find out that rookie uh, quarterbacks tend to lean on their tight end, shorten intermediate routes a little bit more than some other positions in the offense, and really um, there's no wide receivers to really, uh, I guess, uh, challenge for targets over there. they have like a hodgepodge of wide receiver group. We're not really sure who's supposed to be number one. Uh, but what we do know is Jonu Smith was paid. And I don't think you pay somebody that type of money to come over and just be a blocking tight end. I yeah. love his athletic capability. Um, injuries have nagged him the last couple of years. But um, I'm really, really excited about Jonu and his situation. Personally, I'm not a doctor either, but I don't think Hunter can stay on the field. Um, nothing in the past has shown us that he can. Um, yeah. What are your feelings and thoughts on Jonu, and why do you have him so high? here in this tier?
0: Well, I, I've got him in tier five, right behind Robert Tunyon, uh, right ahead of Cole Komet, who I'm very high on compared to the market. But I've got Jono Smith as tight end 11. And a lot of the same reason you said, I mean, let, I, I I take the words that Bill Belichick says to the media uh, very highly. Like, I trust those words. And basically, how you know how much does Bill Belichick go out of his way to tell you how much he thinks of a certain player? He literally went out of his way last year to tell people that he thought Jono Smith was the best tight end in the league in terms of his upside and his athleticism, his potential. So the fact that Bill Belichick willingly said that to the media while Johnny Smith was on another team, mind you, and the fact they go out of their way to sign him and bring him in via free agency, then pay him the way they did. I think that speaks volumes. And he's the type of guy where the only reason I don't have him higher in the top 10 next to like Higby, Thomas and Fant is because they also did bring in Henry Uh, and Hunter Henry. Look, I mean, I know he's dealt with injury issues in the past, But he actually stayed relatively healthy uh, last year. I believe that Hunter Henry finished within the top seven in terms of overall targets. The guy had 92 targets on the year, 600-plus receiving yards, 700-plus air yards, four touchdowns with Justin Herbert, whereas Justin Herbert was showing uh, a tendency to target his wide receivers downfield deep a lot more than checking down. Justin Herbert didn't do a lot of checking down in the short passing game, which is why Hunter Henry had a really good bounce-back year but it kind of went under the radar because of those reasons alone. So I like, I like Henry. Uh, I like, I like John Smith. I wish that like they were not on the same team together uh, because I think that each of them, when healthy could easily be both top five, uh, borderline top five, top 10 tight ends in fantasy in terms of points per game. So uh, because of John Smith has the, has the youth on his side, he has the athleticism on his side. He was the first guy they brought into the two he has the favor of Bill Belichick working for him. Those are the reasons I have him ranked 10 spots higher. Uh, but would I be surprised to see these guys end up with similar numbers at the end of the year? I, I would not. Uh, but because of those other factors, that's why I'm ranking Johnu uh, ahead of Hunter Henry like I am. But if you're in a deeper league, if you're in a tight end premium league where they award 1.5 points for tight end catches like FFPC does, then I think Hunter Henry Hunter Henry's definitely worth uh, being the second tight end on your roster because of that reason I wouldn't mind if you're waiting on tight end you're waiting to the late rounds maybe you want to grab both of them and and one of them gets hurt then you're looking at one of the potential top 5 10 tight ends in the league uh, in a capable offense with Mac Jones under center who can throw the ball so uh, that's the type of strategy I wouldn't mind doing Uh, same thing goes same reason for Johnny Smith I want to touch on two guys Jared Cook for those same reasons he's looking like he could be the featured tight end in Los Angeles I, I know that Herbert wasn't willing to throw to Henry as much as the the elite tight ends last year. But Cook maybe is more of a downfield guy who has more athleticism, explosiveness, uh, as opposed to Henry did. So I do like Cook at his current ADP right now. He's going off the board as wide as a tight end 17. I would take him right in that range between tight end 17 to tight end 20. Uh, And then I I just wouldn't forget about Gerald Everett either. We talked about Tyler Higby and why we like him. I've got hit. I got Everett about five spots ahead of where he's going to ADP. I've got Everett at tight end 14. Again, this guy has the athleticism. He has the draft capital in terms of where he was drafted by the Rams and the Seahawks brought him in for a reason as well. This guy could easily become uh, third in the pecking order behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He might be hands down the most talented tight end that Russell Wilson's ever had on his team. And with Shane Waldron coming into town from L.A., Waldron and Everett have that experience and that chemistry together in the past. So this is a guy that doesn't need that type of full offseason or a full year under his belt to get acclimated to the play calling in a new offense, in a new city. I think Everett can easily crack that top 10 at the end of the year. And he's the guy that's been kind of inching higher up my boards as we get closer to the NFL kickoff for week one. So Everett, Johnny Smith um jared cook who's a little older which is why i have ingram everett and smith ranked higher than him in tier five uh those are guys i really like because not only do i think they give you a solid floor at their adp i think if all things go right their ceiling could be top five with the type that type of athleticism and type of quarterbacks they have throwing them the ball outside of maybe ingram with daniel jones and consistency so that's my thought overall on the middle to late tier guys and uh last thing i want to bring up as we wrap this up here Two more athletic guys that I think are getting very undervalued in fantasy drafts at tight end. Eric Ebron is, like, the most unsexy name right now in fantasy getting off the board. Eric Ebron's, like, on ADP. He's the tight end 24 Ben Roethlisberger. I love the I love the
1: rookie they drafted. By the way, sorry to cut you off. I okay, love
0: well, well let's you can by all means give me some pushback on that. But Eric Ebron. No, last no, no, year. no, 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 no. I, I, not from a fantasy standpoint. I mean, obviously, Look. I know
1: we're talking about fantasy. I love what he's done in the preseason. I think he's a Pittsburgh type of guy. He just naturally reminds me of Heath Miller. Um, yeah. Ben looks good. I'm just big on Fireproof. That's all I'm saying.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right. I hear you on that. So yeah, dynasty wise, I think he's a good prospect. I do, but I just want to say. Don't forget, Eric Ebron had 91 targets last year. He's coming back into an offense that I know they're going to run the ball more. But Ben Roethlisberger did lead the league in pass attempts. He did throw the ball 60-plus times in his last NFL game when they lost to the Browns in the playoffs. And he did score five touchdowns. Eric Ebron was a top-10 tight end in fantasy points per game, and none of us want to remember that. So Eric Ebron, a lot of drafts, is not being taken, period. So if you can get a guy like that who has Big Ben, who I think is still going to throw the ball at a very high rate, I think Eric Ebron, this guy was a first round pick and he's not that old. So let's not just forget Eric Ebron just had a really bad experience in Detroit and people wrote him off. Let's not completely write off Eric Ebron because I think he has played pretty well in Pittsburgh now. And this guy could actually get better as the years go on. So a lot of times, as I said, you hardly ever see a tight end come in and contribute as a rookie. Maybe year two, maybe year three. That's why I have Cole Komet ranked as high as I do because he's going into year two as opposed to his rookie year. So Fryermuth's the guy that I, I'm not worried about him this year. Maybe in the future, yeah. But this year, again, do not forget Eric Ebron's like one game away from getting close to 100 targets on the year. And that's top 10 tight end in the NFL. So I just don't want to forget that because this guy is going free in drafts right now. And if you're talking about all these guys that we're kind of guessing on, uh, one thing we don't have to guess on is that Eric Ebron's going to get those targets again. At least that's what I think. So I, th- I think that at his ADP, he's more than worth the price. I've got Eric Ebron right now as my 16th ranked tight end. Again, he was top 10 last year. I have him ranked 16. So technically I'm low on Ebron. The market has him a tight end 24. So I'm higher on Ebron because the market's just so much more sleep at the wheel. So those are things I want to look at in terms of like, Who is the market asleep on? Because the media narratives worked against these guys for so long. And Eric Ebron to me is like the prime example of that. So I'm not willing to give up on Ebron. I'm going to go right back to the well on him. He was a more than capable tight end. putting in your starting spot last year because the only three guys, the only two guys that were really doing anything for you from week one to week 16 was Waller and Kelsey. If you had Ebron on your team, you were actually doing quite well. So uh, that's why I like Eric Ebron compared to his ADP uh, amongst the other guys we talked about. And the last guy I want to bring up, Is Mo Ali Cox. Um, Reports out of camp, And and, sorry, last thing. Promise the last thing. Eric Ebron led the team in preseason in terms of receiving yards their last game. I'm not saying that's why he's going to dominate this year, but that goes to show you something. The fact that he was able to do that just in a preseason game, I I think that speaks to at least he's going to play a key role in that offense there when defense are going to purposely try to scheme away Claypool, Deontay, maybe even Juju. Uh, But Mo Ali Cox, I have ranked as tight end 24 because reports out of camp all offseason have been that Jack Doyle is going to be used more in a blocking type of role. And Malali Cox has gotten a chance to start in the preseason game to run with the ones in practice. And he has the athleticism and the build to be that big body type of target in the end zone. So he's a guy, I think, just with his – this guy's an athletic freak. He looks, like a, he looks He looks like Andre the Giant in a Colts uniform when you see him on the football field. And he's the type of guy that can easily rack up like six, seven touchdowns. Easily in a year, maybe even more than that, double-digit touchdowns because of the presence he provides inside the 10, inside the 20. So a guy, again, that's going basically for free in drafts. He flashed in a couple games last year when he had the opportunity to be the starter. And we've seen Carson Wentz consistently target tight ends in the past. Like when Zach Ertz was at the top of his game, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles were both throwing the ball. So I think Carson Wentz can make Mo'Ali Cox one of the top targets in his offense outside of guys like Michael Pittman paris campbell ty Hilton starting the year on ir so that's another reason to buy in on a guy like mo alley cox like he could be free at the end of the drafts he's bigger more explosive taller faster than half the guys that we're talking about in our top 20 so a guy you can get for free that offers you that type of upside and that type of floor i'm all about guys like that getting them at the end of my drafts which is why i'm willing a lot of times to wait on tight end if i don't get waller or kittle in the second and third rounds
1: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing, just going back to a draft strategy point of view, I think a lot of people I see, uh, especially in lower end leagues, like sometimes I'll just play on some money uh, leagues like Yahoo, ESPN, stuff like that. I see a lot of people picking up two quarterbacks, sometimes even three quarterbacks. That's just utterly ridiculous, people. Uh, Quarterback is somebody that you could stream, even if you don't have a top uh, five, six, seven quarterback. You can get one week to week. You can play matchups. A second tight end is going to be much more valuable if you don't have one of those top five guys than any quarterback could be. Um, whatsoever. So do us all a favor. Don't pick up two quarterbacks or three quarterback. Don't stash Jason Watson. I know it kind of looks flashy. Don't be cute. Get one of these guys with high upside, because if you are getting a quarterback um, that's in that top five, obviously you, that's going to take care of itself. Now, if you're not getting a tight end in that top five, we need lottery tickets, right? That's essentially yeah. what this is. Anybody after 12 is a lottery ticket. The more lottery tickets we have, the better chance we have to set ourselves up. Um, to be a big differential at that tight end position. Now I know you said you were done talking about people, but I'm going to go ahead and drag one more out of you. Um, We like to tell people, Um, you want to have your draft as late as possible. The earlier you do, the more risk it comes involved um, with preseason injuries, uh, practice injuries, non-contact injuries, Um, the worst of the worst. We've already seen that happen. Irv Smith Jr. is out for the year. Um, We do have his replacement, uh, Tyler Conklin. Are you in on replacement tight ends like this that you know is going to get majority of the work, or would you rather scale down that list and go with the Mo Cox that you know a lot more about and that you've seen a little bit more as well?
0: Well, I had Tyler Conklin ranked a lot higher than I do uh, Mo Alley-Cox because last year, uh, and this is the reason why I was even tempering my expectations for Smith, is because last year when Rudolph was not being involved in the offense, he was banged up himself, uh, we saw Tyler Conklin running close to 50% of the routes uh, in the Minnesota offense. He was getting targets. He was actually a serviceable guy, at least in DFS. Like, I was playing him some in DFS. I remember playing him in DFS. Uh, I think it was the Christmas slate or the Thanksgiving slate. We actually returned some. Uh, he, he was a nice ROI in terms of where, what type of salary you were drafting him at in daily fantasy on DraftKings. So he's the type of guy that, like, I mean, look, like they traded for Chris Herndon from the Jets. Like Chris Herndon's a guy I don't think's a bad flyer at the end of your drafts either because he's an athletic guy who we were very high on the last couple of seasons. But he's a guy that basically went to waste, almost ended his career because of Adam GaSe, and we've seen how many careers has Adam Gase almost ended that we've seen literally immediately after they leave Adam Gase's tenure uh, they, they start to break out and it's like, maybe they could have been doing this the whole time. So I think, I think Chris Herndon fits that bill. Um, Chris Herndon, I have slightly above market. The only reason I haven't put him close to Conklin is because Conklin's been in that offense now for a while. The coaches trust him. Kirk cousins, trusts him. Uh, Herndon though has the athleticism to where if he earns the trust of the coaching staff sooner rather than later, he can easily uh, compete for the tight end 1A, 1B status with Conklin, but uh, I think that's what's keeping me from getting too excited about one of the others that if Herndon does excel in that role, then I, what I think happens is it becomes more of a 1A, 1B, and I really try to want to avoid tight end committees as much as possible. You know That's the reason why, despite John U. Smith's athleticism, despite the contract, uh, you know, despite what Bill Belichick said about him and raved about him in the past for You know, I've got him at tight end eleven. I think that's the highest I can go on a guy like Johnu because Hunter Henry's there. Hunter Henry gets hurt, by all means, I'm moving Johnu Smith into my top ten without question. And I think the same thing goes with Tyler Conklin. If all of a sudden Chris Herndon gets hurt, I might move Conklin up another three, you know, two, three, four spots. Um, But because Herndon's there, and I don't think Conklin's going to be like this number one featured tight end. Uh, behind Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, uh, I've got him right in the middle at, at tight end 15, which is right now, which is, is, is ridiculously ahead of ADP. I, I just don't think like when you look at ADP right now on like underdog or fantasy pros, um, I think because the Irv Smith injury just happened that some of the ADP numbers that you're seeing publicly, they haven't caught up to speed yet and updated. Uh, I highly doubt that Conklin's being the 41st tight end drafted off boards, maybe close to like 25 or 30. So I don't want to say I'm twenty-six spots ahead of ADP on Conklin. I've got him as a fifteen tight end, uh right around the range where Eric Ebron, Mike Isicki, Austin Hooper are being drafted. Uh, but at you know, the fact that they have Chris hernan now, I, I might move Chris Hernan up a couple spots. I might move Conklin down a couple spots because I think that those guys behind him that I have in the rankings right now, uh, have more of a case to be the tight end ones based off past experience. So uh conklin's the guy i do like as a late round flyer um right now i probably would take him over mo alley cox but uh at the end of the day i i think those are both good viable late round flyers that have upside because look at the end of the day conklin could be getting a nice target share as the number one tight end with Noah smith in that offense let's see what what actually happens to herndon herndon by all means I know he could bounce back from not having Gase there as the coach, but he could also not play much of a factor. And if Hernan doesn't play much of a factor, then Conklin's got to be doing something at least halfway relevant in fantasy. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to really dance around the topic with him, but like he's a guy that like easily provide top 15 numbers, but then again easily could be a non-factor. So again, his draft price, he's not asking you for much. You could cut him after week one or two if you're unhappy and you don't really lose anything. So I think it's a win-win situation for all these guys we're talking about, basically that are ranked tight end 15 or lower. I mean, there's no extra tax or price you're having to pay on any of these guys, but I think all of them in the right situation could provide you with really nice uh, return on investment in terms of where you're drafting them at.
1: Absolutely. Guys, listen to this. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of people in the profession. This in-depth analysis that you're getting from Chris just right off the top of his head is absolutely amazing. Uh, just uh, some of the special content that the betting predators can definitely bring you that your average opponent's not going to be listening to. So uh, Chris, great stuff. Did you want to go into uh, some kickers or defense? Did you want to move yeah. on to that? What did you, yeah. you want to go do next?
0: No, that's a good point, Joe. I don't want to keep people on too long. We've been on for about an hour now. I don't want to keep this another more than 10, 10 minutes or so at the most because everyone's going to be sure. so busy this week with Labor Day and with their drafts. Uh, you know, last year, Sleepy and I, we did go through our, our our defenses and our kickers, but I don't really want to do that. I want to value everyone's uh, time more than anything because, like, we're all betters. you know, whether small or big. Uh, we're all fantasy players, DFS players, whether small or big. And for me, I'm sure you agree with this. Coach J rod is like, time is money. Like Absolutely. whether you're, winning, whether you're winning a bet or like saving time, like isn't saving time kind of winning money at the same time. So same like, thing. Same yeah. Thing. Same, same thing. Right. So like, I want to save people time. <laughs> I don't want to go through my, my defensive and kicker tears because frankly, I don't think they matter. I think it's more for content's sake, just to put it out there. Uh, Here's my personal strategy. And, like, if I'm doing, like, 10, 20 leagues, the per- the strategy I have in 90% plus of these leagues is that, like, I hope, first of all, that if you're doing a league outside of ESPN and they don't make you draft the kicker or defense, don't draft the kicker or defense. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, the extra spot. like, you can- Absolutely. Yeah, the thing that sucks, I just did my first home league. Uh, it's a dynasty league. We're in our second year, so we're pretty new. And, like, we're doing it on ESPN. Like, ESPN's a very smooth, convenient, slick app. I like to use it during the season, but during the draft, it sucks because they make you draft a defense. Uh, We don't have kickers in this league. That's another story for another day. Like, if you're playing fantasy and you want to be up to speed with the modern times, like, eliminate the kicker position. Like, if you want to base fantasy off skill and off strategy, there's always going to be luck involved. Try to reduce the luck that's involved in fantasy. Take luck from, like, 50% down to 35%. And I think a big way you can do that is by eliminating the kicker position. Um, and, you know, defense, I, I keep it in there for now. Look, we don't get want to get too yeah. into the weeds on that, but draft an extra running back or receiver with those two extra picks where you don't have to take a running, uh, a defense or a, a kicker. And then what you can do right before kickoff on Thursday or on Sunday, just pick up a, a, a kicker or defense to stream, whoever has the best matchup yeah. that week. And the reason why is that, look, I – I think Washington hands down has like a top two or three defense this year. Right. But one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to handcuff my roster and force myself to keep a defense week to week, because I know I'm going to be scared. Like if I drop these guys, like someone's going to pick them up. I don't even want to put myself in that situation. Like, Oh, I drafted Butker. I drafted Justin Tucker. Like I can't drop these guys. Like don't put yourself in that situation. It's going to do yourself more harm than good. Let the other people take them. What you want to do is you want to draft flyers, draft flyers at running back, draft flyers at receiver. Like week one, like add, add while people are taking early defenses in rounds fourteen and fifteen, draft Tyson Williams for the Ravens. He could wind up by week two being the starting running back for Baltimore. over oh, Gus Edwards, like there's a non. Give my
1: guy Kenneth Gainwell. Give my yeah, guy yeah. Kenneth Gainwell. There's
0: right, your boy. Yeah. Kenneth, your boy that you were talking to me about before we started recording this podcast, this live stream here is Kenneth, Gain- a guy, absolutely that I gave you some pushback on, but at the end of the day, if all things go right and all of a sudden Miles Sanders gets hurt, a Kenneth Gainwell, a, a Darrington Evans in Tennessee, even though he's starting the year on IR, if you have an IR spot, throw Darrington Evans on your IR because he's going to do nothing but sit there until he gets healthy for you and then maybe Derrick Henry gets hurt. So all these reasons alone are like guys that have won leagues in the past, like, Damian Williams was a fourth string running back before he got the starting job for Kansas City, and then less than a year later, there's legitimate debates going on of whether Damian Williams should have won the Super Bowl MVP over arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. So you get my point. With like any of these Dave guys Robinson, the,
1: undrafted,
0: yeah, these guys are sitting on waivers all year long. And what you need to do is you need to churn, churn the bottom of your roster, the, the bottom three or four spots every single week. Add up a running back at a receiver you know what I do all of a sudden I see that Alvin Kamara left the field in the fourth quarter early in the Saints blowout 28-0 win over the Bucks on Sunday what do I do on Tuesday hey you know what Alvin Kamara he's likely to play next week I'm picking up Kamara's backup because on the chance that Kamara gets rested for one week which happened to me in the league a couple of years ago I had Latavius Murray when he was averaging like 35 fantasy points per game for about two weeks in a row and you know what he helped me win the two games that I needed in order to make the playoffs, which enabled me to make the finals and win the league. So if I didn't have those two weeks from Murray, I wouldn't have even gotten to the playoffs, which wouldn't have given me a chance to even win my league. So just having a guy off waivers that you churned, you had those extra roster spots just for one extra week during the year could make the difference between you either making the playoffs or not, winning the league or not. You don't need them in the championship round. You just need that one week from a waiver wire guy that could win you a week and that that's more than a return on investment for what you're going to get by taking a kicker or a defense early in your draft. So I know it can be tempting, I know the projections can get in your head. You want to take one of the top 5, top 10 defenses. You know what? Sunday morning, just look be like what's the defense I want to what's the offense I want to attack? You know what? I'm going to stream whatever offense is going against Jared Goff. I'm going to stream whatever offense is going against Zach Wilson the rookie. Um you know and you can right. you have a really good uh uh, you can have a really good strategy that way, week to week. You know what? I'm just gonna take the kicker that's available and I'm gonna look at the Vegas totals. And whatever game has the highest overall, right. I'm gonna take a kicker on that team. Simple as that. Don't overthink it. There's so much variance and so much luck that goes into it. I don't want to go into tiers or tiers of defense, tiers and kickers. Churn your roster every single week. Once Monday hit once Tuesday morning hits and the waiver waivers are open to drop players, drop your defense, drop your kicker, pick up two extra spots play the newswire, play what the beat reporters are saying about injuries. Wait until the next Sunday morning to add back a kicker in a defense. 90 plus percent of the time, it's going to work in your favor until you get to playoff time. Maybe you want to take a defense a week ahead because of some scheduling and matchup stuff. But during the year, you're much more valuable in terms of churning those spots and trying to play the speculation game on what's the next waiver wire running back or receiver that could break out or rookie quarterback that could get his chance. So, those, that's my biggest advice when it comes to strategy on defensive kicker is don't draft them unless you have to and don't keep them on your roster week to week. Use those two extra spots to speculate on a skill player and, and you'll wind up paying bigger dividends down the road for that.
1: Yeah, I take a kicker that uh, scores a lot of points, high scoring team and that kicks inside. That's my only two things. You kick in the dome go. and you play for a high-score team. That's perfect for me. Uh, I do agree with you there, though, um, on the defense. I do like to look a couple weeks ahead um, for playoff matchups. You know, somebody like Tennessee, who's going to get Houston and Jacksonville at the end of the year, um, that's somebody that I'm definitely uh, leaning towards that I would keep when, you know, there's less of a chance of somebody as a breakout, you know, two weeks to go in the season. But, uh, Chris, you want to let these guys know where they can get all this valuable information again before we head out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, we appreciate everybody tuning in again. This is the last episode of our uh, fantasy positional preseason podcast. Um, you can get my top 300 PPR rankings at bettingpredators.com. Um, you can see it on my Twitter feed, at MadJournalist. That's M-A-D-D Journalist with two Ds. Uh, you can find Justin, who's going to be doing college football and fantasy football content for us this season, at Coach CoachJRod1. And then again, like I said at the beginning, go to bettingpredators.com. Find a link on the homepage to our premium content. Uh, If you want to get our early bird rate, which gives you $20 off our premium packages, any of them available, you can just message me on Twitter or comment on one of my posts. I'll go ahead and try to hook it up for you. Uh, We're going to be offering monthly and weekly prices on our premium content, uh, and we'll be releasing those as options uh, right around kickoff for week one, which is right before Thursday. And then uh, we're actually going to have Steve Reeder on uh, at Avoid the Vig, He's one of our key guys here at the betting predators. He's going to be doing our power ratings for the year for our premium subscribers. He's going to be giving uh, early look ahead lines and projected line movements every week. Like every Sunday night as a subscriber, you're going to be getting updated power ratings as well as like the first lines that drop, like what numbers to take advantage of before the market moves. You're going to get those via email, via the website and or via our private discord for subscribers. So anything that we're betting as our core team, we're going to be sharing with our subscribers, whether it's player props, whether it's sides, totals, uh, DFS plays, et cetera. So that's what you're going to get is the instant access to our team, what we're doing behind the scenes and stuff we're grinding on for you. Um, and if you're not ready to do that, then again, we're going to have my fantasy rankings for free every week. Uh, we're going to have uh, Coach J-Rod's fantasy content for free every week. We're going to have a lot of great free content. And a lot of great premium content as well throughout the entire year, as well as our podcast with sleepy back as the host. So I'm excited about year two at the betting predators, everyone who supported us at this point, we're so grateful to have you on board with us. It's been a really fun ride. And I, I think things are just going to 10 X and get that much better in year two. So I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited to have you J rod on board with us doing our college football, doing our fantasy, everything that you provide being a host for us on different shows as well. So I appreciate you being here and, uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm ready to kick some ass, win some leagues, and uh, have some fun this year, man. I'm ready for week one. Let's do it.
1: Darn right. I'm ready. We're only a couple days away. Can't wait for that Thursday game. then we get the next what, five months uh, with a lot, a lot of football. Uh, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Glad and happy to be aboard and ready to get going.
0: Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, everybody. You can check out the podcast, the full episode of here. Uh, we're going to post our content on the website as well for our full podcast schedule, all full, our full premium schedule. Day by day for the week will also be up at bettingpredators.com backslash premium. Hit us up if you need anything else on Twitter. Otherwise, we'll catch you for our next episode just coming in a couple days here. Peace out.